Another podcast brought to you by Team Corker. This week, Emily Chang jumps on the pod all the way from Shanghai. I was inspired by Emily's recent conversation at W North, where she riffed on her new book called The Spare Room. What she doesn't speak about is that she's currently leading the worldwide organization of the McCann Group as the CEO from Shanghai. She was formerly the CMO of Starbucks China, which she will tell you is very different than Starbucks in Seattle, and also had a stint at Apple back in her day. So it's an interesting blend of incredible brands that really don't drive or define who she is. It's her spare room and the story of bringing children in off of the street at the age of 20, and how that has evolved the relationship she has with her family, with her own daughter, and frankly, it sounds like how she shows up in the world. It is nothing short of inspiring, and I joke that I can barely keep one Bernadoodle alive. I cannot imagine 18 children in my home. I hope you enjoy this one, and I hope it gives you pause for thought on what you could do with your spare room. Emily, welcome to the pod. I'm so grateful that despite being worlds apart and time zones separated, we've made this recording happen. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me, Seth. Well, I mean, I feel like the best way to dive in would be if you could just introduce yourself in the way that feels most authentic to you, because sometimes we can read about people and certain bios, and those bios may miss some important details, labels, or facts. So if I were to say, Emily, how would you introduce yourself? What would you have to tell us? Oh, that's such a great way to do an intro. So free style thinking. (laughs) without having planned, my first reaction is I'm a mom of Mm. a 13 year old girl who I adore. I've been married for 22 years to Mm. a man who I adore as well. And who I married earlier than I ever would have thought I would get married in my Mm. mid twenties. I love to find reasons to celebrate. I love Mm. to bring fun to opportunities, bring people together. I'm doing these free exercise classes right now in my neighborhood because we're, we're stuck in the compound. <laughs> so that's probably a good example of who I am is finding ways to bring people together and have some fun. Oh, gosh. Well, I don't think it's to be taken for granted on the other side of the pandemic of the power of bringing people together and of finding joy and finding fun. And we recently had the privilege of listening to you at W North. Well, you know, you were in Shanghai and and we were in Whistler, British Columbia, and you really had us in tears over how you've chosen to spend your pandemic because your pandemic has not been like everyone else's. Not everyone came out an author. Not everyone has come out with a new chapter. And so Can you start there for us at the beginning of the pandemic of how you have gone about finding joy and togetherness? I'd say, follow your calling. If Mm. there's something that's really tugging at you, for me, since 2017, I've been working on this book, carving Mm. out some time every weekend to try and write. I've never written, published anything, but I just really felt that these stories deserve to be told. And Mm. back then it was really just an anthology of stories of some of the 16 kids we'd had in our spare room. But the book project evolved as we went. 
And it became something much deeper. I really interrogated what is the idea that is worth sharing here? Why would people want to read this? And it has to be more than just stories. It has to be a call to action. And it became, in my mind, a movement. I would love for people one day to frankly not know my name, but they would say, what's your spare room? In the same way that we ask each other, hey, how are you going to pay it forward? We all know that phrase but we don't necessarily know where it came from because the phrase has become part of our vernacular. Mm. And that's really what I have come to a place of wanting this project to become. So Mm. it started in 2017. And then we had the chance to go to the U.S. for a temporary assignment, which brought us to a place where I carved out one year's time in Mm. agreement with my family to say, let's see if we can follow this project. There Mm. are too many times we try to wait until a sabbatical or when Mm. I retire, I will X, Y, Z, you know, I'm in my mid forties and maybe there's some things that don't need to wait. And there's Mm. no reason I need to go on a solid trajectory. If there's something that calls to me and I feel like it's really going to enrich my life and other people's, I'm willing to deviate from a norm and pursue that passion, you know, not indefinitely. Our family said one year, let's see what happens, but it gave us a chance with a timeframe to set milestones and try and pursue this passion project. Wow. So how much of the book would you have said was written before you took your one-year commitment? (laughs) Two chapters, which changed almost (laughs) completely. (laughs) Okay. So two chapters are written, which literally have taken three years to write while you've been managing. <laughs> I say that with love, just to put it into yeah. perspective. You know, it's a, a small spark is brewing of a desire to share something. And yeah. can you go back just a few more years though? And can we start at the origin of how you chose to spend and really dedicate the time of your spare room, which is the origin of the book? Where did that all begin? I was only 20. So I would say there's not a lot of intention in the beginning. And even though the subtitle talks about living with intention and leading with Mm. authentic purpose, it's something I came into over time. So I may not Mm. be the quickest learner. I started off probably more naive and embracing those moments of being able to contribute and help somebody Mm. find joy versus intentionally saying, hey, I have a spare room. That seems to be a gift that I have. (laughs) that wasn't where it started. I just, just started with this little girl named Leah. She was one of my, she was one of the first chapters I did write in 2017. And I drove by her and I, I saw that she was hurt uh, sitting in the rain and I couldn't keep going. You know, I wanted to keep going. My mind was like, get back. You have so much work to do. And my heart just kept stopping. So as the light turned green, I physically could not get myself to step on the gas and then it turned red again. And so I was stuck there for another two to three minutes and I enrolled the window and I called out to this girl And as she lifted her head, I'll just never forget. She was hurt. She was really hurt. She had a swollen left eye. Her her other side of her lip was swollen and bleeding. And she was sitting in dirty slush water on the side of the road. So I asked her to dinner. I said, you've got to eat. And this weather is disgusting, you know, upstate New York. So we went and ate. And then I brought her into my apartment to just get a shower and just sleep one night because I couldn't have her go back out there. She was so little. I didn't even know how old she was. She looked like she was maybe eight turns out she was about 14. And um, she ended up staying with me for a couple of months. And after that, when she moved out, long story short, and ended up at a foster family, she called me on the landline, because that was even before I had a cell phone, before Blackberries. And she said, you know, there's a girl I used to hang with in the street. 
can you have her stay with you? And that became the second girl. And, you know, at that point it was really, well, I was willing to help Leah. So of course I'll bring this other girl and we'll call her Charlie. And then a year later, another opportunity completely came out of the blue. And at this point I was with my now husband, we were dating and engaged. And then another came along and none of these has ever been through a planned program. One does not always know the other, like the first two. It's just been a steady stream of kids and even babies. And we just started to come to a point where we're like, of course, we're going to say yes, because every time we do, our lives are deeply enriched and we get to see somebody else's life transformed. Mm. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying I'm always at my best with these kids because it's a stretch for your Mm -hmm. life but it's so enriching and you start realizing that you're serving a deeper purpose. And when you're mm. willing to put time into something like this, time mm. gives back it. I don't know how to explain it. It's just magical. When you're willing to open your home, your resources and your time, things just expand in abundance. And mm. that's such a wonderful experience that I really hope everybody who hears about it is willing to lean in and try it. Mm. Oh, my heart. Well, we'll make sure that, of course, I mean, spoiler, the link to your most beautiful book is in the show notes. And The Spare Room is a book for everyone to read. And it did expand our perspective of what's possible. And specifically as a mother, just the demands and what is put on females, female leaders, to know that you were, you know, really a thriving executive, making time and space to have these children in your spare room really like blows our minds. And so I wonder if you can speak a little bit more to when you speak of time giving back, it's like, you're, you're almost speaking to this oxymoron that Emily, we can't possibly believe this to be true. So tell me how it's true. Tell me how we can lean into that notion a little bit more. I'll give an example. Instead of thinking of work-life balance, Mm. which I think is flawed on many levels. The fundamental one is work is a fundamental part of life and life is bigger. So balancing these two unequal things doesn't really make sense. The second thing is balance is impossible. Mm. When you try to balance two things, you're so focused on maintaining this equilibrium that your focus is not outward. It's not on the things that can have impact in the world. Mm. So I prefer to talk about work, family integration. Work Mm. is a big part of my life. Family is a big part of my life. Mm. And when we put them together, we might have to find a way to be comfortable with the messy middle. Things Mm. are no longer clearly delineated. You know, one absolutely bleeds into the other and vice versa, but it Mm. allows us to live more fully. So Mm. the last kid, I mentioned 16 kids because we've just had our 17th and his little, this little guy's name is Wayne and he has hydrocephalus. He's very, very delayed and disabled. And he is just such a total joy. I'm madly in love with this kid. So if we had a housekeeper or a babysitter take care of him during the day, my husband and I both work and my daughter's going to school pre-lockdown, it would be impossible for one of us to try to race home by 6 p.m. to relieve the Mm -hmm. babysitter and then try and manage dinner. That kind of balance would just stress us all. We'd be so stretched tight, like this string that's about to pop. But instead, I just realized I have an hour commute to and from work each way. And I have a driver, which is a huge privilege, but because driving in Shanghai is tough and it requires (laughs) a lot of things Mm -hmm. that I don't think I have, I get to work in the car. So Mm -hmm. I've decided to take Wayne with me to work. I get two quality hours sitting with him. He's in his little chair next to me and we play and we sing and I watch him physically develop every day. 
that's two hours I no longer have of working in the car. And somehow I just get more efficient. You know, work is entropic, right? The world tends to disorder. So it fills as much time as you allow it. So mm. if those two hours are now car carved out to be with Wayne, first of all, I get to work singing nursery rhymes and I'm happy. I'm like joyful because I've now spent an hour with this cute, cute little thing. And then I get to work and I may have one less hour of what I would have prepared, emails, et cetera, but I find that I can condense it. I'm mm. more efficient with that time. And I had this first hour of my day with this adorable little guy. And then he is sitting, this is a little untraditional, but he sits in the car park with my driver. He is a kid being raised by a village. The drivers, the janitors, they all come down at their break and they feed him very unhealthy snacks. They play <laughs> with him. But you know what? What a great way for this little kid who'd just been lying on the ground in an orphanage, staring at the sky, completely unengaged, not able to coordinate any of his movements or make any noise other than grunts. Now he's learning to say hi. He's learning to say ai, which is auntie in Chinese. And then we drive home together and I feed him dinner in the car. Again, I've lost another hour of work of recapping the day. But I love that because when I get home, I've now been immersed in joy and I'm totally ready to engage with my family. Then after my daughter goes to sleep, I go back to work and I don't find I'm missing those two hours. In fact, I find mm. my life is so much richer. Mm. I have so much more energy because I'm investing in spending time with this little guy. That's one real life example. I think say no more. It's, these are the stories that inspire us to consider how we work differently, to consider the time we have in the day differently, and to consider how we inject joy into our days. And for you, it's traveling with a little one. And for someone else, it might be waking up at sunrise at the top of a mountain. Go do that. That is so, so special. You know, you mentioned that you started this spare room project, let's call it, when you were 20. And yet you really did take the pandemic just these last couple of years in our, you know, you made the most of them from traveling over to America, living there, writing a book, and now integrating yourself back into the world of professional work, if you will, or corporate life. And I wonder if there are any lessons or are you looking to taking a year off to invest in your book and your passion in that way and still continue to fill your spare room. And now, you know, you're working differently. You're not working in the car on the way to work, for example. Has that shifted perspective in any way for you of, of your time, relationship yeah. with time? Something I've thought a lot about is when we're smart driven people, we can survive in most environments. We can mm. survive working for a boss who isn't maybe wonderful or doesn't love us or doesn't share the same ethos. We can survive in a variety of corporate cultures, but we've only got this one life to live. So why not find the place where we can thrive? Mm. And where we thrive differs dramatically. Maybe for you, it matters the most who you work for. Maybe mm. for someone else, it's about your peer set and really feeling mm. that camaraderie. Maybe for others, it's the type of company, whether it's nonprofit or whether it's small or large or what region you're based in. Mm -hmm. I've realized I have a high degree of agility. So I did a TEDx talk called Killing Chickens, and it's all about your discomfort index. I have a really high discomfort index. So I found as long as I'm thriving, I can work anywhere, any way. And so you know, we talk a lot about situational leadership. I think I've become a more effective leader because I'm able to adapt more 
to adjust and meet people where they are because I can, mm. I can flex myself and mm. recognizing that this is a strength. Look, I've got lots of weaknesses. So this is not just tooting my own horn, but finding our strengths and identifying them, I think empowers mm -hmm. us because it yeah. helps us be at our best and contribute what we might uniquely have to offer to people and circumstances. So having worked at home, working in the US, writing a book, working online, helping my daughter with distance learning, she's now starting an entrepreneurial venture and really hoping that it can work in an offline space this summer. All of these things require us to flex different muscles. Yeah. And I think that keeps us sharp and it helps us kind of stretch the edges of yeah. where we can contribute and how. Oh gosh. Am I allowed to ask what your daughter is up to? She's created, oh, I love this. She's created an organization called EBI, which is early bird internships because in China, things are a little bit more flexible. So high schoolers can get a head start by signing up for an early internship, but a lot of them don't know where to start. So she's taken the initiative to find students who are interested and then find companies who are able to take unpaid high schoolers. And then she's been matching them up. And, you know, she blows my mind every time I see a milestone, because I'm not very involved. She does it on her own, but she's like, mom, I created this form with branding, early bird internships, and I need people who are serious to fill out the form because that will filter out people who just raise their hand, but aren't serious. And then she got to a point where she said, I need to interview each candidate. And I was like, you, okay, that's great. And then just last night, She's like, okay, I've matched everybody up based on their preferences, their strengths, how I perceive, you know, what they're interested in and the companies that are available. Can you have a look at what I'm going to send out? So I had a look. She's got an early bird internship branded form with photos of the interns, quotes of each intern, and then her own assessment and description of these interns, writing a letter to the hiring manager saying, here's what I've matched up. If you have any questions, let me know. As a next step, I'll connect you directly. Here's their information. I'm like, can I hire you? She's yes. amazing. She's amazing. I would like to acquire her company and hire her as a recruiter because <laughs> you can't find adults that want to put that much time and care and effort in. I agree. And that's phenomenal. Something tells me the apple doesn't fall far from the tree and watching mom be mom has been nothing short of an incredible example. I'm sure of it. That's so special. I live for the world of recruiting and am obsessed with the interview journey, especially now. It's an interesting time of people applying for new jobs or resigning from certain jobs and taking on new, new chapters and new challenges. And I'm very interested by this younger generation. What are they going to think? Who do they want to work for? What companies are they inspired by or not inspired by for that matter? Oh, gosh. You mentioned that you... In your state of agility, you spent some time in the U.S. Yep. And where were you coming from? Were you in China and then you came to the Pacific Northwest? I was in Shanghai, China, and I went to Seattle. And you went to Seattle and you were there for six months or was it more like 18 months? So I was there about 18 months. I was there for a six yeah. month assignment that actually went about eight. And then I took one year to write the book. So it was sort of the, yeah. the work period plus the one year. And then we came back to Shanghai. And your daughter was able to go to American school as well. And so I'm wondering if you would enlighten us with some of the things that you and your family found most interesting, most wonderful, and not so wonderful about that transition and that time. We were in the Bellevue School District, which is incredible. So academically leaning was challenged. And I was like, honey, I don't think this is representative of all American public mm -hmm. schools, but it's on the, it's on the 
you know, high end. So yeah. enjoy it, but, but don't take it for granted. You know, yeah. I think um, she really enjoyed public school. It was just a very different experience than going to private school here in Shanghai. Interestingly, because we we're in Bellevue, I don't think the, the demographic was very different. It was largely Chinese and Indian kids, you know, with a smattering of sort of all other. Yeah. yeah. Because we were right around Amazon and Microsoft, you know, I went to her orchestra concert and it was all age. I think there might've been one Caucasian face. And I thought, wow, it actually feels like we're back in Shanghai. This is interesting. Wow. So it probably wasn't a middle America experience in that respect. We were delighted by the outdoors, by the hiking. Mm. We were hiking all the time. I got so fit. (laughs) I've (laughs) lost it, but it was wonderful while we were there. The views were amazing. People were incredibly nice. My daughter's obsessed with Target. That's the thing she misses the most about America. I love that. The negative things I'd say is it was a kind of a different America than the one that I grew up in. Trump was president. Black Lives Matter was a very important stage in current history. And we were able to participate in taking a stand. And I think that was wonderful because mm-hmm. that's not something that happens here in China. So she was yeah. able to experience that. And we were as, an, as a family able to stand up for the things that we believe. Yeah. And then COVID hit. And the yeah. way folks responded to COVID there was kind of different than here where, you know, when they say lockdown, you obey the government and you lock down. So the differences in democracy and not democracy, (laughs) I think pros and cons to both. And I think we're actually, we've been able to see the pros and cons of each. Right. Wow. It's so fascinating for you where you are and also for an early teen to have that as part of their fabric, part of their story, you know, she'll never forget that. Um, And that's really, really special. So I just have two last questions. I will be quick. My first is you have had 17 children or Wayne is your 17th. And do you see this ending or do you see your spare room evolving in a different way? And do you even have a vision of what the future of that holds? Or have you just answered when there has been a calling? We just answer. I think our families always said yes. We, I started recording these little things I called hashtag taxi chats because mm. we're often in the taxi or in the car here. And my daughter and I often talk. And so I just one day held up my phone. I said, can I record this? Mm. And as we started talking, I asked her, I said, what happens when the next kid comes along? She just looked mm. at me, she's like, shortest chat ever. Yes. Because I think that's just where our family is. So yeah, well, we'll just wait and see whoever comes along next. It's so special. And we end every podcast. The clock ticks and tells me it's time we must end with the same sweet question. And that is one goal that you have that's really near and dear to your heart for the year 2022. And I want you to know we ask this question because on the other side, and I don't know that we are on the other side of the pandemic, it can feel like goals and dreams have gone to die. Things have been canceled and we want those to stay so alive. And I think by learning other people's stories or goals for that matter, it's nothing short of inspiring. And do you have one that you would be up for sharing with us? Absolutely. I was incredibly humbled when somebody reached out and said they wanted to make the spare room book into a film. And as I think about this becoming an amplified way to impact and reach more people, that would be wonderful. So I wouldn't say it's my own ambition. I would say similar to the book, like these things just continue to grow. And I just sit there kind of humbled and thinking, I can't wait to see what happens. So I had the privilege of co-writing the script and the treatment. And now they're in discussions on hiring actors and actresses and musicians and directors. And this is 
one of the things I look forward to with the most anticipation, it's not really something I'm driving and I don't think I have a lot of control, <laughs> but that probably makes it a lot more fun because I'm along for the ride. Oh, my heart. Do you have any idea of when this might be live? They're targeting to get the financing confirmed. And actually I heard it was, so now they're really casting. And I guess once that happens and they get a director, then they think we could be shooting within this year. Wow. Oh, my heart. Well, I hope that the internet keeps the world small and it is something that we will all have access to because <laughs> from the short little clips that we had the privilege of witnessing to see the transformation of the children that have been in your presence has been so inspiring. And I have my own wish and vision that one day all of these children will be able to come together in their way. Oh, could you imagine just like your 60th birthday, what would that look like? That would be insane. I, we have had a couple kids of different generations meet each other and it is, yeah. it's like heaven on earth. <laughs> yes, truly heaven on earth. That is so, so special. Emily, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your impact in the world beyond words. And I so, so value who you are as a female leader, really forging a way forward that we have more time than we believe we do. And thank you for all of that. It's been such a pleasure to stalk you online. <laughs> Steph, thank you for the chance to share more. And thanks for the chance to engage with you. I love speaking with you. It's uh, a pleasure. It's a treat. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. You too.